feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us i'm kate willett i'm julia claire julia i got vaccinated i got my second shot Woo! yeah it's um I, was, I read in the new york times today uh a public you know a publication that i read on my breaks uh, from substack um All right i uh or the real journalism is um <laughs> Barry Weiss's newsletter. Yeah, uh, no, I'm just I'm not like trying to universally make fun of Substack or whatever. Just you know, I can't but, engage with Substack. There's too many. There's I, too many. Some there's of too many them things. Are, yeah, some are transphobic, but mostly not. But like, also, there's just too many things. Yeah. It's like how do you have to pay for every streaming service individually? It's too much. I don't. Yeah. Want to? I, I know. say this as we like we have a Patreon. I know that, but. We're different. But, Please subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> we're just we're we're two nice ladies doing socialism, and I really want to be able to buy a nicer microphone. So I know we are always we he, we you know you some of you guys leave us the nicest reviews, being like we love the show despite the technical issues. <laughs> Please give us five dollars a month. Um, five dollars a month. We want to be able to pay our producer. And, you know, we're going to, I I took some video today. We're going to start putting video behind the paywall. And, um, yeah, so that's going to be a, a, a bonus for uh, patrons. But I do want to say that I got the second vaccine and I felt very sick. And I found out that in the New York Times, um, paper record, that a lot of people are not getting the second vaccine. And the article was like, well, a lot of people aren't getting the second vaccine, some because of side effects. And then it goes on and it's like, but a lot of people because aren't getting it because the vaccine sites are, are messing up. They get like sent to locations that don't even have the vaccine that they were supposed to uh, get. Like they'll, you know, be Moderna people sent to a Pfizer site or whatever. And, um, you know, it's it's the sharks and the jets. We get it. Yeah, it's already so hard to get people vaccinated that I feel like they really should not be messing this up. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, um, strange bedfellow during the Bernie Sanders campaign, Joe Rogan, uh, came out with some with a fucking vaccine hot take today. A wild shit. Absolutely <laughs> wild shit. So what did he say exactly? He was like, if you're a young, healthy, 21-year-old. Well, he's don't saying, he's saying, if if I were speaking to a young, healthy, 21-year-old, would I recommend that they get the vaccine? No. Okay, well. But you're not speaking to a healthy 21-year-old. You're speaking to a damaged 21-year-old incel. I know. And also, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just. I I mean, I made a joke about how Joe Rogan is a good argument against free speech, and 
<laughs> and a bunch of his fans, uh, and also some well-meaning socialist, some rose emoji Twitter accounts were like, do you mean to say that you think that free speech people should be arrested for what they say? I'm like, no, I just think Joe Rogan's an idiot. And I made a joke about it, which is what free speech warriors are constantly trying to defend the right to do. But yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan is, I mean, he's very easy to make fun of because he's a dummy, but he also has the most popular podcast in America and pos- and one of the most popular ones in the world. Um, his audience is absolutely enormous. And unfortunately, people do listen to what he has to say. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why, like, if Gwyneth Paltrow can be sued for promoting false health claims and stuff like that on Goop, why can't Joe Rogan similarly be sued? (laughs) Well, I think because with Gwyneth Paltrow, she's, like, selling a product, so people are incurring, like, a financial loss whereas like with joe rogan it's not he's not, not selling an he's not selling like an alternative to the vaccine or something you know that's not proven i know but but i do want i want him to shut the fuck up and maybe he starts selling pussy candles like joe rogan pussy candles and it's just like really sweaty pussy like martial arts pussy yes. you know? <laughs> yeah yeah can I, can I just say that i don't I look at Joe Rogan, I just don't think he's ever gone down on a woman. I feel like he has probably, like, let a lady sit on his face before. Just to try it, and then he was like, not for me. Well, no, he was was like, (laughs) he seems like someone that would just, like, he's so muscular that he seems like he would have hard, hard time, like, moving around a lot, but I don't know. What am I saying? Like... Can't you just kind of picture him just, like, sort of, like, laying down and everything? Because I've had sex with a lot of lazy men. I'm not saying Joe Rogan is lazy, but I'm saying that, like, lazy guys, how they do it, how they do sex, is they just lay down, uh-huh. and you you start by being on top of them on the mouth place, and then you finish by being on top of them on the, you know, in the PIV place, and they don't move the entire time. You just do the whole thing. and. Joe Rogan seems like that kind of famous to me, where he would just be like that about it. I I mean, that's an incredibly detailed theory, and I love it. <laughs> I love I love to be the lazy one during sex, so I really I I I empathize with them, but yeah, Joe, but Joe Rogan to me just has like, I don't know, it's the same sort of Joe Rogan is like two shakes away from Jordan Peterson to me. I don't know. I just he there is even though he has like even though he kind of comes off as like very approachable and non-threatening, there is something like really dark. Yeah, no, it's it's also really weird because it's like Joe Rogan has done as he talks about it, on the show like a lot of ayahuasca and DMT, I think. Mhm. And here's the thing about psychedelics in general, but especially ayahuasca, is that they're, like, 
ego diminishing drugs. Mm-hmm. Like it just basically, I, I don't know the exact science of how it works, but it, it, uh, it shrinks your ego. Right. And people talk about like the feeling of like kind of becoming, you know, connected to, to the collective or whatever. And like ego death. In, yeah. To, well, ego death is something more specific. It's like that at a high level where you actually mm. fucking think that you die, like sort of, you know, um, but with Joe Rogan, like, how can you have done all of that, those psychedelics and still not be like empathetic at all? You know, where you're saying things like, oh, you know, don't get the vaccine. Like, like, it's just a decision for yourself personally, you know, and it has nothing to do with anyone else. Cause it's like, yeah, if you're 21, you're probably not going to get a super bad case of the coronavirus, probably, although like 21 year olds have died from it, but it's like, we want to not spread the coronavirus, you know? He doesn't, I mean, I want to say that he doesn't have like a cohesive political ideology, but I don't even know if that's necessarily true. I think he's a pretty, I think from what I know about him, he seems pretty squarely libertarian. Um, I do know that he moved, didn't he move his company from, uh, headquarters from California to Texas? Yeah. And there's a whole like right wing Texas comedy movement that's happening now. Um, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sorry for our friends in Austin, but I'm also glad to not see some of those people in New York because they're not my vibe. Um, I know. Um, wait, I, I have a (laughs) former former guest and friend of the show Josh Gonelman and I were talking about a comedian who whose work we hate <laughs> I bet I could guess who it is but and, I am not brave enough to say it on the podcast oh no it's no one famous it's just someone who like it was just like a, a comedian who we just we just don't we don't like what he does and um Josh was like saw his name on a lineup uh like a few days ago and I just I realized I hadn't thought about him in a whole year and I can't believe that he didn't quit or move to Austin <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny yeah um you know who else I fucking hate Elon Musk and I hate that Elon Musk is getting better comedy opportunities than me now to add yeah. to the list of um <laughs> reasons I hate Elon Musk Elon Musk is hosting SNL Grimes does not even get to be the musical guest, which sucks because it's Miley. Yeah, Grimes has been through enough, one would say. Um, Grimes's mom has been through enough, right? She's on there fucking yelling at Elon Musk on Twitter, and I feel I get I get that I get what Grimes's mom must be feeling to some extent. I think right because you know that's got to suck. To be like, I would, my daughter is doing Elon Musk. Grimes was like a, in her early days, earlier days, was like on the level. And now she is, she was, she was a, a lefty like us. And, okay, can I tell you, in, in speaking of data, can I tell you that my boyfriend sincerely asked me why people don't like Elon Musk? And I, It was tough. <laughs> wow. Wow. He didn't know why people don't like Elon Musk? No. Is 
Oh, geez. So your boyfriend's not a lefty in this case. Well, it's not. It's just he's not. I think I think if you're not super online. It the, the reason the myriad reasons why Elon Musk is. Deplorable are not readily apparent to you. You're just like, oh, maybe he's just like. Like, obviously, he knows well, he's, he's a like billionaire. a billionaire. Yeah, he's yeah. a big tech CEO. Like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to understand. Um, but I, I get it. He, because, you know, there has been some, like, debatable lore about Elon Musk. Um, yes, his father was part owner of of a diamond mine in Zambia, um, which I did fact check myself, uh, that is, has been, or not a diamond mine, an emerald mine, I'm sorry. Uh, and Rolling Stone, Business Insider, and Forbes have all reported that. So that's ironclad. How much contact Elon Musk had with his father growing up is up for debate. So there's, you know, debate about how... Basically, like, the thing about Elon Musk is that he has made this lore of himself as a self-made man. And I think that even if his father didn't, like, raise him every day, that's absolutely not fucking true. Um, and... And even if his father completely was not involved... Look, I get it, man. I would want to hang out with Elon Musk. I know. Elon sucks. Yeah, yeah. But... (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, so, if my boyfriend is listening to this, which I know he is not, um, I, other than the fact that Elon Musk is a billionaire and billionaires are kind of inherently evil, um, there is the fact that he is a major union buster, he pretty much argued, like, everything he says politically is squarely fiscally right-wing. Um, he is, you know, big into lower taxes for corporations, deregulation, all the, all the classics. Also, J.D. Power and Associates rated the Tesla one of the worst cars. There are 250 complaints for every 100 cars sold at Tesla. So why are we talking about Elon Musk? Well, if I mean, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you are permanently online like we are, and you know that Elon Musk is slated to host Saturday Night Live on May 8th. Uh, and I know, you know, we've, we've seen from the different social media accounts of some of the writers and cast members that... It doesn't seem like anybody who works there, maybe besides Lauren, is particularly happy about it. He's not funny. Um, it makes no sense to have Elon Musk host SNL. He's just like a he fucking. A, he's just like a hoodie bro. He's that not funny. Got he's really rich. Not an entertainer. He's not. There's nothing. He's just some guy. Yeah. Just say no. You will. Please just don't watch it. Don't even hate watch it. Don't reward this terrible behavior. <laughs> the, the... You can, but not intentionally. 
just say no to watching Elon Musk on SNL. And also, I mean, he's another guy who is so self-serious that I just, that makes comedy impossible. When you take yourself that seriously, you cannot be funny. I mean, look, we know a lot of self-serious guys. Yeah. Some of them are very funny. More in a laughing at kind of way. Sometimes both, but never at the same moment. Yeah, I don't know. I think you, I think to like genuinely in, in an environment like that, you. In an environment like that, you're right. I yeah. Think, I mean, you have to be, I mean, that's why like, I remember Tina Fey said that like Paris Hilton was the worst host she ever that came across during her tenure at SNL because. Oh man. You didn't want to make fun of herself at all. Ugh, what a world. And Elon Musk is like that, but um, he wants to go to Mars. Space billionaires. He wants to colonize space. I hate space billionaires. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I just think that if you start seriously talking about space, the government should immediately come and seize your assets. Yes, because you become too rich. Well, we do have a. A really good episode, really good interview for you this week. Um, and we're, we talked to Michael Hollingsworth, who's running for city council here in Brooklyn. But even if you don't live in Brooklyn, which I'm assuming most people don't, it's a really good discussion about like what um, housing activism, tenant activism entails, and also why it's really important right now as real estate interests become so, so powerful in New York and, and so many other cities, really. Um, it's happening all over the country. It's even happening in Austin as right-wing comedians move in and displace everyone. No city is safe <laughs> yeah. from right-wing com- comedians. That includes New York City. That includes San Francisco and all of your your big blue cities. Look, I just want to say um, before before we head to the interview, thank you so much for all the people who've thank been you so giving much. us reviews. Please keep thank those so coming. Um, we we love to hear. We read every single one of them, even the ones that say that we're just dumb bitches with vocal fry. We read those, and uh, but but the ones where we can tell that you've been listening for a long time really mean a lot to us. Um, someone, someone who clearly listens to the show, uh, responded to a tweet of a picture of my cat with Little Pearl Who. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so funny. Like, they're, like, they're competing, which I thought was so funny. Um, okay. Over and out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you later. Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. I am so excited to be chatting this week with Michael Hollingsworth, who is a lifelong Brooklynite, tenant organizer, and dedicated fighter for housing justice, who is now running for City Council District 35 in Brooklyn. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Julia, for having me. We're so, so, ex- we're so excited to talk to you. You... I, t- I took a look at your website and you have, and I also, I think I was, uh, I became aware of your work a number of years ago through the housing justice for all movement. Um, and we, we love what you do. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start off by saying that. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's, you know, it's not, um, it's not glamorous work um, that we do, but it's important um, because nobody else, you know, despite the fact that we are a city that's made up of, um, this is a city where two thirds of us are tenants or renters. Um, and you would think that we'd have, um, you know, more people fighting for us, but we, we don't. So, you know, it's up to us to, you know, it's up, it's, it's up to us, unfortunately, in many cases to step up, um, you know, and defend our neighbors. Um, cause no one else will. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I, uh, you know, some of our listeners, actually a good percentage of our listeners are in Brooklyn. Um, but there's also a lot of folks outside of Brooklyn. Um, but I know that, you know, many, many, many people who live all over the country, um, are living in cities where t- tenant activism is, either already a really big deal or becoming a really big deal as uh, landlords get shadier, as housing prices go up and up. Um, And I was wondering if you could give us sort of um, like a quick overview of what are some of the things that tenant activists are focusing on right now? Right. So uh, one of the major, well, sort of the major fight that we've been um, facing here for the past year a little more than a year now is the the uh, the cancel rent uh, campaign. Um, so last year, you know, we got hit with COVID in March, and immediately we had a lot of folks who just started reaching out to us that were like, "Hey, I, you know, um, I just got laid off. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pay my rent." And so, like, we quickly, you know, like I personally got sent home. I think um, at, uh, it was around March 17th. Um, and the following week, we just started getting flooded with people that were like, hey, I just got laid off. I'm not gonna be able to pay my rent. Like, what are we gonna do? Um, and these were a lot of folks who, by the way, were, were struggling um, to make rent before the pandemic, right? And then, um, and then so you, you, you put on top of that, the fact that they've now lost their jobs. Um, and so it was a, so we knew that the, we knew there was gonna be a need really quickly to make sure that folks weren't weren't gonna start to be thrown out um, in the streets. So we just sort of, we quickly mobilized around the whole cancel rent movement. We realized that people just wouldn't have the money to to pay back rent. Um, And that started at the, so like most movements and, you know, uh, it started at the grassroots level. It was just a need that, you know, that we had to respond to. So we started organizing um, a lot of new tenants, a lot of new buildings. Um, buildings started going on rent strike. I think our first, the first building in Brooklyn, I think went on rent strike on April 1st. Um, and they're still on, um, it's a building on Pacific street, um, in Brooklyn, uh, in Crown Heights. And I believe they're still on rent strike today as well. And, um, you know, so the rent strike, the cancel rent movement basically turned into us fighting for, a, um, a, a series of more eviction moratoriums, um, which we got um, basically through a lot of direct action. The entire summer, basically, um, we were mobilizing down at um, Brooklyn Housing Court, which is 141 Livingston Street. Um, and other groups were mobilizing across the city and state as well. Um, but we did that in an, in an attempt to get the attention of our elected officials, um, highlighting you know, the dire need for relief. 
And, you know, through those actions, we were able to, like I said, get the eviction moratorium uh, extended multiple times during the course of last year, um, including the one that we're still uh, living under right now, which actually expires um, on uh, May 1st, which is Saturday. Um, there's some talk right now about extending it even further um, until August, I think August 31st of this year. Um, but that, that, that's, that's the most crucial fight right now is that we just, you know, we just don't think that it's um, obviously, it's, it's never a good time to throw people out on the street. It's even worse in the middle of a pandemic. And so um, our job right now is to make sure that we, we, we get this uh, moratorium extended um, and that we don't allow eviction cases to move forward. It was this weird thing where they, um, where they, they wanted, they want to start, um, uh, um, start the proceedings on eviction cases that were already in process before the pandemic happened. Um, and so, uh, sort of the backload, they want to sort of get through the backload, but we obviously think that that's a bad idea as well. So, you know, our, our position is pretty clear right now. We don't think that anyone should be thrown out um, into the streets. Um, uh, the federal government has provided money uh, for relief for landlords. Um, now it's just about the, um, the, the state officials figuring out how that's gonna, how that's gonna be, you know, dispersed. But, um, so they have their money. Um, there's, no, there's no need um, for them to get their money and then also continue to throw tenants out on the streets. Um, it's just, it's just um, so that's sort of our, that's sort of our red line right now. That's what we're fighting for. We're fighting for um, basically a cancellation of rent. Um, and, and we don't want to see any evictions. Um, definitely not for the rest of this year, for sure. Ideally ever, you know, you don't ever want to see anybody thrown out, but you know, we're still gonna, you know, we're, it's gonna take us a while to get out of this um, pandemic and, um, while we're doing that, while we're trying to, you know, work towards that goal, we need to make sure people stay in, in, in their homes. I absolutely agree. And, you know, Julia and I have both been, um, I mean, we're both uh, huge supporters of cancel rent. I'm talking about on the podcast. And one thing that I really wonder about is, you know, and I know no one really knows the answer to this question, but like, what the heck happens? Like, I mean, you know, let's say the eviction moratorium ends at some point, which it likely will at some point or another, be it, you know, while the pandemic is still going on or or afterwards. Um, I mean, like if someone doesn't have a thousand dollars to pay their rent one month, they're not going to have fourteen thousand dollars in back rent the next month. Uh, who has that kind of money? And I'm just I I feel really confused about what the heck is, is going to happen here. You know, um, what are people pushing for? Yeah. Well, well, for sure. We don't want, um, we don't want renters to owe, um, back rent. And that's where some of the, that's where the federal money comes in. Um, ideally the federal money would cover all of the back rent. Um, so folks don't have to go in, into debt owing, uh, uh, their landlords. Um, that's the, you know that's that's sort of the the idea of of um, of, uh, of of where the federal money would come in. But then we also um, you know we also know that folks are going to need sort of a cushion as well. Um, so let's say once the back rent is cleared, um, 
a lot of folks are still either underemployed or, or unemployed. Um, so, you know, some of us have also been talking about um, a way to clear back rent um, plus provide relief for, you know, three or four months um, after the pandemic is over, whenever that is as well. So, um, yeah, we're, you know, we're just going to need, you know, look, the, the pandemic, you know, ultimately the pandemic wasn't any of our faults, right? <laughs> um, uh, folks didn't choose to be laid off or be underemployed over the past year. Uh, it was a, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, hopefully a once in a lifetime pandemic. And, you know, the point of a government is to, you know, at least that's what I was always taught. The point of a government is to protect and, you know, take care of its citizens. Um, and that's what we need right now. We need a government to step in um, and provide, you know, for us. Um, uh, it, it shouldn't, I don't think it should be that complicated. Um, you know, the American, uh, the American people, we need a, we need a bailout. Um, we have no problem bailing out, you know, corporations. Um, but when it comes to us, you know, regular folks, it's always a, it's always a fight and a struggle. Um, and yeah. I, 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 completely agree with everything that you're saying. Now, would the, you said that you had been discussing the three to four months of additional relief um, that you would want to provide, would that also be money coming from the federal government or the state government? Ideally both. Mm. Um, we've, you know, like, let's be honest, we've, we haven't gotten much relief from either the state right. or no, the- Of course. Um, we got, I mean, I personally have only gotten, um, two, um, stimulus checks, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know the gate, I think they sent out three, but I only got two personally, and, you know, um, and you know, it's, a, I mean, it's this past year has just been really, a sh we're supposed to be the richest, most powerful country in the world. And the fact that we had folks go an entire year with just the one stimulus check. Um, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. We have the money. Um, we certainly always, always find the money for our military. Uh, that's another yeah. thing. We just, We're like corporations, yeah. Corporations and our defense budget. Um, yeah. It's like a shitty boyfriend, you know, like it's just like, ugh, just like, come on, can I please just like, you know, I just need a little bit, you know? That's and then and then you see him buy like a PS4 or whatever. Yeah, a PS4, yeah. but instead it's like drones. You know, it's drones. It's yeah. always drones. He won't yeah. stop buying drones. Um, yeah. And you and you you know it's you know what's funny. You just mentioned the military budget, right? And it is the one thing. It's the one thing that um, like uh, establishment Democrats, what all Democrats and Republicans agree on. It's like defense spending. Um, and their, you know, their reason is always, oh, we need, you know, national security. We need to be, you know, strong. And like this past year is, to me, has been, you know, what's been most notable is like, we always think about national security as like building more ships and more planes and, you know, like we have to do that. 
But I was looking at like the food lines um, all across the country, whether it was people yeah. acting physically in lines or cars that were stretched for miles. Um, and then the sort of looming eviction crisis. And I was like, isn't like that a national security issue as well? Like right here at home, like having people, having millions of Americans um, having to depend on food lines um, and uh, facing uh, the real possibility of being evicted, like that's national security, right? Like that makes us, doesn't that make the country weaker to have that many people? But we never think of, like we never think of national security like in that sort of context. Like if right. we did, you know, we would have dumped, you know, that 700, what was it? 700 trillion or whatever. They just, they just, um, whatever it was, I think it was like 700 trillion. We would have like dumped that into, you know, um, here in this, you know, like us, you know, if, you know, like to, to secure us here at home. And I don't know, it's just a, it's a weird it's yeah, I think I think President Biden actually just um, signed on a, it. Was this, I think it was a seven hundred and fifty billion dollar defense budget, which is higher than the one that Trump had signed last year. Um, and you're absolutely right that though that is something that um, unfortunately Democrats and Republicans love to reach across the aisle on uh, and it doesn't make our country any safer. Um, and we all know that it's, it's analogous to the idea of um, public safety only being about police giving uh, police an enormous budget, but no budget for um, services for people experiencing homelessness, which is a public safety issue. It's a, a huge public safety issue. Um, you know, 60,000 in New York alone, 60,000 uh, folks are experiencing homelessness and um, increase. And all of these things are connected. Housing, I'll, I'll use California as an example, Los Angeles in particular. Um, they have had a lot, their city council has really been horrible about the, um, the, the homelessness crisis there and sweeping a lot of the, um, the encampments that homeless folks have set up. And so you have a situation in LA that is increasingly in every major city of of that tier, which is housing prices are astronomical. Fewer and fewer people can afford housing. And so you have this emerging problem where you have these cities full of only the richest rich and the poorest poor. And I, I actually always say that when I'm when I moved to New York City, that is what radicalized me almost immediately is seeing some of the most destitute conditions right next to uh, vacant luxury condos. Um, and, you know, from my own work in the, the housing justice movement, I know that we, there are enough apartments there are enough vacant apartments in new york city 
to give every homeless person two. <laughs> Let's do it. Two Let's apartments. do it. Get two apartments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it, as you know, and you said on the, this is the language used on your website, uh, which is that homelessness is a problem created by legislation and it can be solved by legislation. And that's absolutely right. And it's basically, you know, you say, why, why do, you know, in a city where two thirds of us are tenants, why isn't any, why isn't anyone advocating for us? Because the people, our elected officials have for so long and currently uh, many would argue are just in the pocket of big real estate. Yeah. So, um, you know, un- unfortunately, um, real estate money has been the lifeblood um, for elected officials. Um, Keyword blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been the, yeah. It's been the blood. It's been, um, it's been what, um, it's been what they were. Uh, I, um, um, I, I suppose I could say it's been their, it's been their drug, you know, or their crack, you know. It's, <laughs> um, it's been what is. It's been what has kept them. Uh, it's been what they've like. They've been addicted to it, right? And like, mm-hmm. um, it's the only way they have known, you know, to finance their campaigns um, and 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 to basically sustain them and. You know, one of the things I like about, um, you know, newer folks like me who are running for offices, um, we we reject real estate money, um, and we're and I think and there there are, there are a few reasons for that. One is um, we've actually been harmed. We've been harmed by real estate. Like you know, I that's why I'm talking to you today. I got activated in 2016 because of real estate, and that's why I've stayed involved. So. Um, that's the first thing is that we've, you know, we've, we've been on the receiving end um, um, of them. And then the second thing is, I think we want to show people that you can actually um, run for office and win without real estate money, which yeah. hopefully sort of changed the dynamic. Um, Absolutely. And we've seen that a few times, like, you know, even for like, state Senate, a number like of times. Ju- Julia Salazar, but before we go any further, I, I do want to just list a few other addictive substances that real estate money is like. Um, <laughs> booze, okay. <laughs> Beer, wine, um, boobies, maybe, you know? Yeah, <laughs> just, <don't> know. <laughs> anyways, sure. the, you know, these people are, you know, even using Twitter, right? Like they, using it's Twitter like, is, it's like using Twitter when you really need to log off. All right. You need to log off. <laughs> You've yeah. got to function without the real estate money. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, we can not, it's not, it's, you know, people we've had just folks that we've had on this show alone, uh, Jabari Brisport, Pharisee Front Forest, um, Mondaire Jones, who won a congressional seat without real estate money. AOC. AOC. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think it's a really it's it's I mean, it's it's a really it's a dire time in a lot of ways, but it's it feels like in the same way that sometimes that you know some some people finally like 
learn where their food comes from or, you know, turn the package around and look at the ingredients on their food, more and more people understand where the money that is propping up their elected officials comes from. And they can see the naked conflict of interest uh, that uh, is posed because of that. And I think, yeah, I mean, corporate real estate in New York is maybe the most powerful lobby there is. Um, and certainly I love to bring this up all the time, but the speaker of the, this, the New York state house of representatives, Carl Hasty, um, has known the head of Rebney, the real estate board of New York for like 40 years. He, they were college roommates. Ah. <laughs> Man, yeah. it'd be so weird if my college roommate though, was in a position of real power. Like she, worked at Abercrombie when we were in college, even really let that go to her head because they were only hiring hot people before they got sued. I'm so glad yeah. she does not have real power. I okay. honestly, I would, I would trust my, my freshman roommate uh, was a girl named Megan, who was like kind of a horse girl. And I would trust her. She was really sweet and just kept to herself. I think she might be incorruptible. I don't know though. <laughs> She was so yeah. quiet. I don't know what it, what goes on in her little head. <laughs> yeah. So um, I just I'll I'll try to use um because uh because um uh, Julia you just mentioned like food and and I'll try to use an analogy that I, I sometimes try to use when I talk about real estate. I'm in New York uh, State, so for years um, real estate has they have basically been the ones who have set up the dinner. Right, they like went out, brought all of the ingredients, um, you know, cooked the meal, and then sort of sat at the head of the table, and then like gorged themselves, you know, and then they sort of like, you know, pushed the, you know, what was ever, whatever was left over for the rest of the folks who were at sort of the the table, and I just think we can't afford. Um, we're in a place now where we can't afford real estate. Look, real estate has a role to play in terms of New York City's economy. I know a lot of people are employed in real estate and so they have a role to play, but I don't think that, I think the time of them having an outsized role in what happens in our city and our state, I think um, the sort of proof is in, you know, sort of uh, the pudding, right? It, it has, it, it has been detrimental um, to the majority of New Yorkers. Um, I think, uh, so I think the time, you know, the time for them, you know, calling, uh, the shots and determining, uh, so much of what happens in our city, I think in our state, I, I just think we can't, we can't afford, we can't afford that anymore. Um, if we continue down this path, as you said earlier, Julia, we get to a place where the city becomes more of a place where it's just either really, really rich people, and really, really poor folks and a city, a state, we can't survive like that. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, to doing a lot of um, the pushback against real estate here at the city level that, that we were able to do um, at the state level after um, starting in 2019. Um, right. Yeah. And, 
I think that a lot of people have a consciousness about corporate monopolies when it comes to things like Amazon and Google, the big tech companies. But what I think is more insidious is the monopoly that corporate real estate has on our cities. Um, yeah. Okay. Blackstone, horrible. Mm-hmm. Obviously mm-hmm. horrible. I just learned that they own Bumble too. So you could live in a Blackstone building and theoretically go on a date with some weird guy who has a boat that you might own a Blackstone <laughs> app. He's holding a fish that's probably also owned by Blackstone. What kind of dystopia is this, you know? I mean, uh, call the papers. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But, uh, but, but I think that, you know, because uh, housing is commodified in our society, housing is a commodity. It's not a right. Um, it is susceptible to this kind of, monopoly from a f- and you know it's not just it's like blackstone is the is definitely like the amazon of of uh that crisis but i think i in my own research i read i read that um the average landlord in ny in new york city is owns like 10 buildings Right. So the, this idea that we've been sold, again, that is used by the real estate lobby uh, nefariously of the quote unquote mom and pop landlord is a, a lie. Yeah. Um, unless yeah. your mom and pop own 10 buildings. <laughs> I am. I am actually I've been waiting for the moment where I uh, could come out about this. My mom is actually Blackstone. Oh my God, Kate, yeah. how could you? When I was a little girl, Blackstone showed me how to shave my legs for the first time <laughs> and um, gave me the the talk as, uh, as they call it, the Blackstone wow. birds and the Blackstone bees, you know? Oh my gosh. So anyway, and she told, tr- and you know, she told you that corporations are people. And corporations that, are people that when one corporation loves another corporation very much, they come together mm-hmm. they merge and make a third creative monopoly yes exactly <laughs> yeah. well um that's you know what uh you know we celebrate girl boss your mom uh yeah. <laughs> my mom was a girl boss i, I epige- epigenetically i'm a girl boss so yes yeah. <laughs> all right Enough. Of, sorry, enough I'm of sorry. That. We keep we keep derailing the conversation. <laughs> we're, tr- we're trying to do a comedy podcast to mix in some jokes with this, but no, I, yeah, no, it's hard. No, it's um, <laughs> it's um, yeah. You have to find the humor in it. Sometimes it's um, because you know sometimes it is sort of sad. Yeah, we have these corporate in- multinationals like Blackstone, like Achilles, um, and yeah, they only they love to weaponize mom and pops whenever they're. Um, it's like now, uh, like over the past year, because of because of the moratorium, you know, uh, one of the narratives uh, by landlords has been, um, oh, like they'll go and they'll find a mom and pop landlord and sort of like push them in front of the media and say, yes, this, you know, this this you know this black 
um, uh, you know, single uh, parent who owns a home uh, is struggling because these deadbeat tenants aren't paying their rent. Um, and this is why we need to start throwing all tenants out on the streets because we need to save the mom and pops. So it's, 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 it's funny. They always, they love to weaponize the, um, <laughs> the mom and pops um, when they're trying to sort of push a certain narrative. Um, but like you said, most landlords aren't mom and pops. Almost uh, all, almost yeah. all landlords in New York city are not mom and pops. And it's so I mean, it's just, it's extra disgusting that, like you said, they will bring out a, a almost always um, black single building owning landlord uh, who is a, a mom and pop landlord. Right. Um, when they're using that as a, a, a cudgel against tenants who are disproportionately in New York city anyways, also black and Brown. Um, so it's corporate real estate is so it's such a gigantic and evil institution that it is I find that it does start to make you sound like a conspiracy theorist because once you you just learn a little nugget about how much control they have over everything, it's just you sound like you're in a shed connecting all these dots. Yeah. Even like you're on homeland. Yeah. Even even the term landlord uh, sounds silly in 2021, right? Like Lord of the land. Yeah, the Lord of the land. <laughs> even that Lord. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, it's um yeah, it's uh um yeah, it's uh I think it's a model um that's you know uh that um that we need to do away with. I think um you know it's um yeah, it's just um I just don't know why. Uh, I, I just don't know why why they still exist. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> so especially the, especially the black zones and the Achilleses. Um, right. Yeah, like you said earlier, housing shouldn't be a commodity. Um, but we live in a capitalist, um, you know, nightmare. And and, and <laughs> folks yeah, will, yeah, folks will it's, make money. Yeah, folks will try to uh, make money off of. You know, if they could charge us for air, they would charge us for the air we breathe. Um, they will be charging us for water soon. So, yeah. I mean, much more than <laughs> yeah. they are already. But yeah, it's a, it's very, um, it's really, really demoralizing. And, you know, it's something that, you know, it's a reality that we all live with all the time, or at least most people, definitely probably everyone who's listening to this podcast, but um you know, sometimes when you really think about like how much power corporations have uh, over our lives, like one thing I think a lot about, you know, like is, you know, health insurance and how hard uh, corporations have, you know, even like you'd expect the insurance companies, you'd expect, uh, you know, you'd expect the insurance companies to, to be really against Medicare for all. But I mean, actually, you know, so many corporations, cause they want that level of control over their employees where it's like, 
you know, if you don't do what I say, then you might not be able to get treatment for your cancer, you know? And it's just really mind blowing that we live like this and that more people are not objecting to it on a daily basis, you know, but it's just so baked in. Yeah. I think, um, I think unfortunately too, like, and I, I knew this before I started running for office, but I, I'm, I'm seeing it more now. I think that they've, you know, um, you know, corporations and unfortunately our elected class, I think have done a good job on just like wearing people down. Mm. Um, yeah. A lot of people have just sort of uh, become, I guess, dispirited. Um, and they think that like everybody's the same and there's like no hope. Um, and, you know, that's why I think, I think, but I don't think that's, I don't think it has to be that way. I think it's gonna take, um, you know, a, a new group of folks um, who actually get into government um, and actually show people that like, hey, this government actually belongs to you. Um, we're actually supposed to work for you. We can actually do stuff for you and we will do stuff for you to sort of like, start to break that, um, that malaise that I think is, mm. has, um, uh, uh, taken hold, unfortunately, um, and too many people. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I think that's just where a lot of people are. I just think a lot of people think that there's no, that this is, um, this is the best that it, that it can be for us. And, you know, it's going to have to take, you know, you know, folks, hopefully like me and others to, to show folks that no, um, our governments, and that's a key word, our governments um, mm. should actually work for us, you know, and do things that'll make our lives better. Um, and uh, yeah, whether it's, you know, making sure that everyone has um, uh, free health care, uh, whether it's making sure that folks are housed, um, in safe um, conditions. Um, yeah, we just, you know, we gotta, we gotta have people willing to step up, um, you know, to, to message that, you know, to run. And then also people on the outside willing to like support those folks um, to make sure that, you know, cause we're gonna like, when you run from a position that's trying to change uh, the system, you're gonna get a lot of, um, slings and arrows thrown at you and you're going to need folks to have your back and you know be a shield uh, to protect you but we can you know we can be in a better place like I wouldn't be running like if I didn't think um that um that we can that we can we can do things better uh than the way we have been doing them you know um so let's let's talk about that a little bit um as that's a that's a perfect segue you said that you never thought of yourself as someone who would ever run for office um before this and you are if i may a very like soft-spoken man um you don't scream politician to me which is a compliment um, so what was it about this city council race 
what was it just about running for office in general? What sparked that in you? Right. Um, yeah. So if you were to talk to me uh, January 8th, um, 2020 and said, hey, Michael, a year from now, you'd be running for office. I would have been like, you know, I, I would have I would have thought you were like insane or something. Right. Like it was never in my um, uh, it just was never something that like spoke to me or wanted to do. Um, but um, it, this is kind of a longer story and I'll try to give the sort of con condensed version. So, um, you know, I got into the tenant work in 2016 and had been doing uh, a lot of work around, um, you know, just trying to keep tenants in our homes, get repairs and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but eventually uh, that work branched out into pushing back against a lot of the luxury rezonings that we were mm. seeing in the city. Um, and for folks who, uh, who, who, who may watch this, who, who don't know, um, what, what, what has been happening is, um, in historically redlined communities uh, uh, throughout the city uh, that are still majority black and brown, uh, these are these are communities that were disinvested in um, in the '60s. There was like white flight um, and just all of the uh, all of the uh, um, like all of the money and resources were basically extra extracted from communities, and then black and brown folks were told this is where you could live, like you know. And so even with those obstacles, folks made a, a home. So I, I live in a, a, an area like that, it's called Crown Heights. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, in the eighties, it was Reaganomics, the nineties, the crack epidemic. So it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a fairy tale place to grow up in, but somehow like folks, you know, made a, you know, made a, a life here. And what has been happening over the past 15 or so years is that you know, uh, capitalists, to be quite frank, have found out that um, that land, that black and that land that was disinvested in uh, generations ago, um, uh, that's currently um, occupied by black and brown folks, there's a lot of money to be made there. But in order to make the money, we've got to push these black and brown folks out. So the latest mechanism um, has been through something called rezonings. They've been doing a lot of luxury rezonings in neighborhoods of color. They basically build housing that is inaccessible, unaffordable to folks who, who actually live there. Um, and anyway, uh, uh, the, first, the first sort of land use fight that I was involved with is, um, was in 2016, 2017, um, at a site called the Bedford Union Armory, uh, mm -hmm. which by the way is, um, it's, it's this thing here in my logo. <laughs> That's actually the, the silhouette of the armory. Um, but anyway, it's a piece of publicly owned land owned by all of us. And uh, there, was a, there was a huge fight in terms of what, 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 what should be done with that land, right? So like on one side, it was, a, it was basically the community um, saying, hey, this is our land. It should be 100% low income housing, 100% affordable housing. On the other side was a current was a um, a current city council member and a and a developer called BFC Partners and their position was like why don't you give us the land we'll privatize it make it mostly condos uh, luxury housing and market rate etc and so that was my first example of um, of seeing the role an elected official plays in terms of you know gentrifying a neighborhood. Um, Unfortunately, uh, my side lost that fight. Um, the council member was reelected 
And not even three weeks after she was reelected, she sold the property to BFC Partners. Um, so that was 2016, 2017. In 2018, this, uh, the same council member rezoned um, a part of Franklin Avenue uh, to allow for, uh, for luxury development, 16 story towers. Um, and anyway, uh, so me and two of my neighbors, we actually sued uh, this council member in the city um, to stop that uh, rezoning. Uh, we actually won last December uh, and got that nullified. Um, but we had a we had something called the TRO, our temporary restraining order, during the during the court case, which basically meant that the developers couldn't touch the land; they couldn't mm -hmm. disturb it. Um, but on January 9th of 2020, the developers decided um, at one of the lots that they would just ignore the TRO um, and go out there and start doing illegal construction work. So. Me and a bunch of neighbors, we went out there that morning. We tried to stop them. Uh, they wouldn't listen to us. Uh, we tried, the police showed up at the scene. We went through, uh, we were out there for about five hours. We went through like patrol officers, sergeant, a lieutenant and the captain. And, um, you know, at, at each time when, when uh, another uh, supervisor would show up, we'd give them the paperwork, we'd explain what was happening. We'd say these guys were working illegally and. They just wouldn't stop the construction work. This is the police I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, it's side note. It's like whatever case there is for the police, they never even do the shit that they're supposed to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the I mean that underscores the the point that many people make, which is that um, the police their primary function is upholding and protecting private property. Yeah, let me just, uh, I, I'm going to try to uh, quickly, um, so, so like, basically that day, the police went and helped, the courts went and helped, we couldn't get a, any, any elected officials to help. Um, so ultimately, um, some of us said, uh, let's form a human shield between, uh, you know, between the site and the, the, and the vehicles. And then once we did that, then obviously, then the police wanted to get involved. So they were like, now we're going to arrest you if you don't move and let them continue working. And um, so five people took an arrest that day. Um, I didn't uh, get arrested that day, but five of our folks did. As we were down and we went and did jail support. And then um, once folks were, were released, you know, on my way home, I was just sort of replaying the events in my head um, of that day and about how a lot of the decisions um, uh, that day, a lot of the blame for what happened that day, you know, rested at the feet of a, of a, of a, that same current city council member who would sort of who would refuse to 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 have uh, sort of good faith um, negotiations with the community in terms of what was going to get built in our in our neighborhood and um and 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 that was the first day that um the sort of the the seed I guess was sort of planted in my head um, about even running I knew it was going to be an open seat um, and and yeah so. So that was January 9th, 2020. I had never seriously considered um, running for office in, uh, before that day. Uh, but sometimes I think you just, I think sometimes you have sort of a front row seat to um, um, just, the, just to the failings of government. Um, and then you realize that, um, yeah, maybe, you know, this is not something, this is definitely not something I'd ever thought about, but you know, sometimes you got to, you know, you have to do things that, you know, that you never thought you would do um, for sort of the greater, 
you know, good. And, you know, this was definitely a race um, that needed uh, someone who could legitimately um, talk about issues of housing, um, you know, who actually had a record, like a track record of like fighting for these issues. Cause that's crucial too. Like, you know, like today everybody says, you know, now everybody's like, oh, housing is a human right, you know, no to rezonings. But like, it's one thing to actually say that. Um, I think it's a different thing when you've actually like, you know, put your body on the line numerous times um, mm -hmm. because you believe it. Um, and so, yeah, the race was definitely missing. Um, someone, you know, who could at least give people the option in June, you know, there's always going to be sort of an, there's always going to be an establishment Democrat, like, you know, running no matter what race you, you choose, there's always going to be one of those, like more, I, I call them the more of the same option. Yeah. I felt like, yeah. I felt like folks needed um, a legitimate alternative and then it's going to be up to, and then it would be up to, to, um, you know, to the voters to choose. Um, yeah. Well, we absolutely definitely hope that uh, you win and I would love for our listeners to know how they can get involved in your campaign um, and, you know, and vote for you in case they live in your district. I do. I live in your district. Oh, you do? I do oh, not, I but I wish I did. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah. So I, if you live in the district, uh, definitely vote for us uh, on June 22nd. Uh, you can rank us number one. Um, and so that's sort of the first thing. And then also like, so there are 56 days until the election. So like right now, the most crucial thing is talking to voters. Um, so if you like phone banking, uh, we do phone banking three nights a week. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. Um, and if you like actually talking to people in real life, uh, because you've been, you're tired of being locked up uh, because of the pandemic, we're also doing uh, door knocking and street canvassing, which is really invigorating. Um, the past two weeks we've had about, the past two Saturdays we've had, a, we've had over 50 um, people show up, which is almost unheard of. Um, and yeah, uh, it, you know, it provides, it provides a couple of things. It provides, I think, us to get some of that, um, that human contact that we've been missing. Um, full disclosure, like before the pandemic, I actually thought that I was like an introvert. Like I thought that I was <laughs> inside and not interacting with people. But this pandemic has shown me that no, I actually like, um, I stood on the corner um, of my street the other day and, uh, and had a conversation um, with a group of people for about two hours. Um, and yeah, so like if, you, if you're missing the, interact, the human interaction, um, definitely um, you should sign up to help us canvas and door knock. Um, and so folks can go to um, m4bk.com. So that's, oh, it's in, the, it's in the logo here. So it's uh, the letter M, the number four, letter B, letter K.com. Uh, there's a volunteer um, page and, and yeah, um, from here until election day, it's all about volunteers. Volunteers are our path to victory. Um, that's the only way we're gonna win um, is because we can mobilize more volunteers than anyone else running in this race. Um, I flyered for you around. Yeah, awesome. put, put your flyer in the bodegas and it, it was a great time, honestly. Awesome. Yeah, yes. did it with a friend of mine. It was a beautiful sunny day. 10 out of 10, would recommend. 
Awesome. Wait, is your is your friend a comedian? Yeah. Is it Kat? Okay. Yes, she's funny. It's Kath. She's been yeah, on the show. Yeah. We can say her name. She's a public figure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I could. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Her tweets. Yeah, if you don't follow her, you should follow her just for her tweets alone. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Oh, Kath. She's she's been on the show. She's been on the show. So yeah, we're we're boosting Michael's campaign and Kath's tweets, and um, yeah, what else? Exciting. We were uh, uh, not Blackstone. We are not. We are not boosting Blackstone. You want to just? Should we just throw in the little cats? Um, we boost uh, them each week. We, we boost our our cats. We have uh, Kate and I have three cats between us. But by the way, um, I'll also say this: if you would have mm-hmm. you if you would have talked to me also like before the pandemic, um, I would have told you that I thought like people who who are into cats are are like kind of silly. I have become a cat um, fan. Oh yeah, they're so cute. Look, I I got little Pearl on Mike here, uh, boosting her. You, you got? A, did you get a cat? No, uh, no, I haven't gotten one yet. But I'm I'm uh, they're I mean they're they're just I mean they're just funny like, and they're smart. They're mm-hmm. and the things they. <laughs> I mean, I was uh so I yeah so I'm addicted to like when I wind down at night like I'm on Instagram just looking through the cat feeds. Oh um, yeah. Probably, yeah, probably my favorite one is there's there's this one where um um so uh it's a couple. Um and um so she opens the door to the room and she comes in and it's and it's uh her partner who's laying in the bed. She's got like the sauna, he's got a sauna thing going. So he's got like the you know the whole thing going. And right next to him is the cat as well. So the cat is there as well, like with yes. the cucumbers <laughs> on it. And she tries to she tries to like take the cucumbers off of the cat to like get the cat and the cat is like <laughs> the cat like you know and they mean they're they're i've they're seen that one yeah they're legitimately so they're legitimately funny and like cats are funny they get up to hijinks we talk about it all the time and then they snuggle i it's like it's so great because it's we like love they're it. either doing something funny which is a lot of the time to be fair destroying your Things. your life <laughs> yeah um destroying at least your material possessions but warming your heart right um right and then the rest of the time they just they they sleep and they snuggle you and it's like i don't know man it's i you know it's it sucks having a hundred percent of my material possessions destroyed but it is nice having something make me laugh and cuddle me you know with the yeah, consistency yeah right <laughs> Yeah, I was wrong. I'm I'm always willing to admit when I was wrong. Like I was, I wasn't a cat person, but I I am now. They are legitimately, <laughs> they're just funny. They're, Cats rule. Yeah. Rosie, little pearl will say something into the microphone. I don't think so because <laughs> she knows <laughs> I want something. Right. Also, 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 what I've learned is that they are they are they are in charge too. By the way, is what I've. Oh yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's very much. Yeah, that is, that's that's well established. My my cat owns me, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I always I, say that Pearl is like a. I feel like Pearl was a queen in a past life that like did something wrong and was like, like a, punished. A tyrant. Yeah, a tyrant queen, and she was like punished by coming back as a cat, and now she is the ruler, but only of like the hallway, you know. So. Well, we love that for Michael. We're uh, so excited for your candidacy and your campaign. Please um, 
all of our listeners check out his website, uh, donate and volunteer. If you're in New York city, uh, again, it's M for BK.com. Michael, this has been so great. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is mine.